0: Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Different, Part 3, The Message You Don't Want to Hear, featuring Michael Davis. Well, it's uh, awesome to be back with all of you this week uh, as I uh, recovered from COVID, uh, which was quite fun and interesting for myself uh... and uh... i you know i wasn't here last week and we didn't know quite what to do uh... because our associate pastor pastor kerry had also just had surgery and was out as well And so for like the first time in like eight years we had no pastors. Uh, like, we had pastors, but we didn't have anyone on staff that we felt like, 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 well, let's just put the whole burden of the service on them in short notice, you know. And so, uh, but, you know, it was really exciting that we were just able to turn it over to our worship band and have an hour of praise and worship. And uh, it was fun because, I, I, you know, I asked people, I said, so, hey, how'd it go, you know. And they said, Ash- Ash- "Ashley's sing real good. Ashley, awesome. Ashley sings really good. We never heard Ashley sing like that. Ashley, really good. And then apparently she's just going to continue it because she did a great job today too, didn't she? Yeah. So it was weird though. We were at small group this week and they were trying to describe it and Miz was trying to describe it. He's like, yeah, she sang the blessing and like she started out like raspy and like deep at first and then came out. I said, was she smoking up there at the keyboard? Like. Did she have like a glass of scotch and like a cigarette and was like, all right, this next one, uh, you're going to like this one. Uh, I didn't know exactly what happened, so I didn't watch it. So I'm just I'm glad we survived. But uh, I do want to tell you, too, and I try not to woo, I'll try not to cry as I say this. I'm on COVID emotions. Uh, you guys, you guys like brought dinner over like every single night and brought food. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, uh, my family. We have not felt uh, more loved than this past week. And so I really want to thank you guys for being the church and for not just taking care of me, but primarily taking care of my wife and kids. And so thank you. And you need to give yourself a little round of applause Uh, because you guys, you guys were terrific. And I really, really, really appreciated that from my heart. I really did. Uh, but, uh, we're going to continue on in our series different. This is going to take us to Easter. Uh, I had one week where I didn't know what to preach and now that I skipped a week, I'm perfect. So this series is going to take us all the way to Easter. And what we've been talking about is a point in time in history, about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, about 64 AD. There was something interesting that happened in Roman history. There was a fire that actually broke out. Um, at the chariot stadium and what happened was a fire started and it burned for six days and then it started to die down and then it reignited mysteriously and it burned for another three so for nine days this fire burned it ended up burning down two-thirds of rome rome was completely destroyed which was a huge deal because remember this is like the city of the world like this is the capital this is the epicenter of culture and history and politics and so it burns down to the ground and everybody he points at Nero. Nero, who was the emperor uh, at that time of Rome, everyone thought he did it because he had just gone to the senate and he had a plan that he wanted to rebuild Rome in his image and he was actually denied. He was told no. And so many people thought Nero must have done this because this was his way of getting what he wanted. After all, if Nero didn't get what he wanted, He usually bulldozed his way through. He had killed two of his wives. He had killed his mother over a disagreement about lunch. I mean, there had been a lot that had happened. And so everyone pointed at Nero. And when everyone pointed at Nero, Nero had to point it at somebody else. And who did he point it to? Christians. He pointed it to Christians because at the time, nobody really knew much about Christianity. Christianity was kind of viewed as a cult. And so it wasn't even an official religion or anything like that. Nobody really understood it. At that time, it really wasn't even referred to as Christianity. It was referred to as the way is what they called it. And so Nero points his finger at Christians, and so Christians become public enemy number one. And it gets bad for Christians, like really, really bad for Christians. And what ends up happening is Nero starts to torture and capture Christians. Actually, he would take Christians and he would put animal skins on them and throw them into a cage, and, and for people's entertainment, let these wild dogs in and just tear these, tear these Christians apart. He would get Christians, he would dip them in hot wax, he would hang them from a tree by their hands, and he would light them and use them as human candles at his parties. This is the kind of torture that Christians were going through at the time. And there's actually a, a Roman historian who was actually a child at the time as as this was going on. And this is one of the only recordings that we have of exactly what Christians went through. He wrote a book. uh, And as a child, this is uh, what he viewed. And then when he became an adult and a Roman historian, this is what he wrote down. He said, therefore, to stop the rumor, Nero, he falsely charged with guilt and punished the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians, who were hated for the enormities. And he goes on and he says next to them, He says, according, first first those were arrested who confessed they were Christians, and next, on the information that they gave, a vast multitude were convicted, not so much for the charge of burning the city, but as of hating the human race. Think about that for a minute. They were branded terrorists. Not so much, it even got to the point that they were not so much being charged for burning down the city of Rome, but they were labeled haters of the human race. Think about that for a minute. Haters of the human race. This was the, this is what the mainstream media told everybody about Christians. And so they were hunted, and they were found, and they were tortured, and they were convicted based on the information that they gave. Now, think about that. Think about that if that had happened today. Think about a time in history if you were alive and all of a sudden the government decided that Christianity was not only illegal, but they were branded as terrorists, haters of the human race. What would you do in that situation? To be honest with you, most of you wouldn't be Christian, would you? Most of you would go, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore. This is not fun. This is not like singing the blessing at church and getting coffee and donuts. Like, this is something else now. So I'm out. Others of you would want to fight. I know some of you, right? I know how some of you are. Some of you giggled. You would want to fight, right? You would want to fight back. You would want to fight the government. You would want to rebel. You would want to take them on. You'd be like, you know what? They want to fight. We're going to give them a fight. And so that's what these Christians were dealing with at this time. Christianity was illegal. What in the world are they going to do? So, of course, this starts to spread all throughout Europe, all throughout Asia Minor. And so the leaders of the church have to give some direction. They have to say something. And so Peter pipes up. Peter, who's probably about 60-plus years old at this time, Peter, who everybody knew. Oh, yeah, Peter. That's that guy who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus, who lived with Jesus for three and a half years, who did ministry with Jesus. That's that guy that walked on water. That's that guy that after Jesus died, he saw him alive again, resurrected, and actually saw the wounds in his hands. He he was there. He was a witness. And he was the guy who spoke at Pentecost. I remember that. Everybody remembered that sermon. And everybody remembered that whenever it came to the council of Jerusalem where they decided what to do with the Gentiles, Peter was there. Peter was the one who spoke up for the Gentiles and represented the Gentiles. So Peter was really well known. He's kind of the godfather of the Christian church at this time. So he decides, all right, I need to write a letter. I'm going to write them a letter and give them some direction on what to do. And so... Peter gets with a scribe, he writes a letter, it gets sent out and it gets circulated, and the towns would gather together and they would hear somebody who had the ability to read, they would hear them read this letter. And Peter starts off his letter with a theme. And the theme of this letter it just goes through this entire, the entire thing. And he says to them basically, hello you aliens, not from this world. He calls them foreigners if you have an NIV translation or an NLT translation. But the Greek word there means not belonging from this world, out of this world, an alien, a foreigner. And he says, hello, you aliens from this world. Hello, you foreigners. And it sounds almost like a joke. I mean, if you were at this time and you were desperate and you were in this situation, you wouldn't have taken this very lightly. You would have thought, what in the world is he doing? But you see throughout this gospel, throughout this, not no, it's not a gospel, but throughout this letter that Peter writes, you see this theme throughout reminding them, remember, you're an alien, you're a foreigner. Your time on this world is very, very short. You're just passing by. And so you need to look like you're not from this world. He reminds them. He says, this world is not your home. This is not your home. This is not your permanent place. This is just something you're passing through. And so while you're here on this earth, it's important that you are different. That you look like where you're actually from, and you're no longer a citizen of this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a child of God, and therefore you are called to be different. And we talked about so far in this series, he says to them, he goes, your faith should be different. You know what, when you face challenging times, when you're going through seasons like these, you know what, this is something that should excite you, not bring you down. Because you know what, these faith challenges, these are here, he says, to test the genuineness of your faith. And then he talks about being holy as God is holy, and he goes, you know what, let me remind you of something else. That you're to be called to be set apart, that you are sacred and special. After all, if you weren't sacred and special, why would God send his son to die for you? So would you please, while you're here on this earth in this very short time, would you treat yourself as sacred and special? Will you set yourself apart? Will you be holy as God is holy? And all of this sets them up for probably the teaching that they did not want to hear. I mean, this was the part in the letter where Peter just really turns it up a notch and says something that probably upset them so much. I'm sure Peter got so many emails. He probably got more emails than I'm going to get today. And he just got so much bad feedback, so much flack from this, but it's exactly what they needed to hear. So before he gets to that part that they didn't want to hear, and probably the part that you don't want to hear, he kind, of, he kind of trickles in. He kind of sets him up. He kind of tees the ball up before he knocks it out of the park. And so this is what he says to him. He says, so therefore, meaning, okay, based on what I've said so far, all right, rid yourself of all malice. Now, do you know what that word malice means? In the Greek, it means wanting to injure somebody. Let me ask you something. Who do you think they wanted to maybe injure at that time? Can you, can you think of anybody? Can you think of any names of somebody they maybe wanted to hurt really badly? You know? Oh, yeah, thank you. Nero. That's good. Somebody got it right. Uh, Somebody that they wanted to hurt. Somebody they wanted to injure. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rid yourselves of all the malice that you have. And then he goes on and he says more. He says, and all deceit. Now, that word deceit in the Greek is very close to the English translation again. It means a trick or a trap. Let me tell you, who do you think that they maybe wanted to trick or trap? Who would they have loved to have seen get, up, get caught up in a scandal? Who would they love to have seen maybe been impeached or brought up on charges? Or maybe there would be some kind of, you know, evidence that would be found to find out that maybe they started the fire. Who do you think that they maybe had to see for? Nero, thank you very much. Man, you guys are killing it over there. How much coffee did you guys drink? Anyway, he says, get rid yourself of all malice and all deceit. And then he says this. He says, and all hypocrisy. Now, this is so good. This is why... This is why you got to come back to church every week, all right? All hypocrisy. In the Greek, what this word means is acting on stage. Do you know what he was actually tell them, telling them in the simple Greek word, what they would have understood? What, what, they were under, what, what Peter was trying to help them understand is that, you know what? There, there was a story being written for them. There, there, was, there was a character That was written for them by the media, by the people who were in power. He says, hey, there's a story that's being written and you're a character in it. And this is how they're characterizing you. This is how they're trying to make you look. And this is so, so very powerful for everybody today living in the day and age that we're living in today. This is what Peter was telling him. Don't play into the role that's being written for you. Mmm do not play into the role being written for you. The people who are in power, the media, they have an agenda. They have something they want. There is something they're trying to get get away with. And so guess what? They're putting this on you. And they are writing a character for you to play in their, their narrative. And here's the worst thing you could possibly do is to play into that narrative, to be the character that they want you to be. Look, Democrats, Republicans, black people, white people, Asian, I don't care. Here's what you need to understand. This is so important even for today. Today, the rich and the powerful and the media are writing a story, and they're writing a character that they want you to play into. Don't play into that character. The media and the powerful are going, oh, you're, you're a Republican? Well, here's how you should think, and here's how you should vote, and you're not really a Republican unless you believe in this. Oh, you're a Democrat? Well, if you're a Democrat, then this is what you have to believe in. This is how you have to vote, and this is who you should support. Oh, you're black? Oh, well, I don't know if you've heard about what's going on with black people right now, so here's what you need to do, and here's who you need to act, and here's who you need to hate, and here's how you need to protest. Oh, you're white? Well, you need to be a little less white, so here's how you need to do, and here's what you need to think, and here's how you need to play. And they're writing a role that they want you to play into to meet your agenda, and Peter looks at the Christians and goes, don't play into the role that's being written for you. Don't give them what they want because they want you to have malice. They want you to hate. They want you to rebel. They want you to respond. Don't play into the role that's being written for you. And then he goes on and he says, so rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy. And that word envy means exactly how it sounds. It's jealousy. He says to them, hey, you know, when your side is not winning, When things are unfair, it's hard to not be jealous, right? When your side didn't win the election, when things aren't in favor of your group or your community or the color of your skin or your religion, it's real easy to get jealous, isn't it? Because you want things to be in your favor. You want life to be easy for you. He goes, hey, you got to rid yourself of that. That's poison in your heart. Don't be jealous you've got to rid yourself of all jealousy as well and then he goes on he says rid yourselves of all malice and jealousy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander of every kind now this word slander in the Greek means defamation and if you're not smart enough to know what that word means it means tearing down somebody's name tearing down somebody's reputation now again Who in the world would they possibly want to do that to? (laughs) Who in the world would they like to look at and go, that guy, mm, I'll tell you what. If that guy makes one more decision, if that guy does one more thing, if this guy, who made this guy, who put this guy in office? Who put this guy in power? This guy's an idiot, you know? I mean, that was surely a temptation for them, surely something that they wanted to do. And he goes, look, don't do that. Don't tear down their name. Don't do that. And so he sets him up and he says, look, these are the things that we, we shouldn't be a part of. We have to be different. I know he, I know this is how you feel. I know this is what you want to do. But we have to be different. And then Peter goes on and he says next. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners, as exiles. Again, he goes back to the same word he used. He goes, you aliens, remember, you are different. I urge you as aliens to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I know so badly what you want to do. I know so badly how you want to respond. I know how what you want to do to Nero. But I'm telling you, you have to fight these sinful desires in your heart. You have to respond to these things. Which is such a, I, I, I don't know about you, but it's such a comforting thing to hear. Because do you ever have, you know, you ever feel bad for just having negative thoughts? <laughs> You ever ever feel bad for wanting to hurt somebody? You know, you're not going to hurt somebody, but you feel bad for wanting to hurt somebody. And you're like, man, and Peter goes, look, it's completely normal. Who wouldn't feel this way going through what you guys are going through? I mean, for goodness sake, people are becoming human candles. I understand all of the urges, all of the feelings, all of the emotions. Those are completely natural. Who wouldn't feel that way at a time like this? However, does it make them right? So you need to fight those desires inside of you. And then he goes on, and he says to them, instead, he gives an alternative. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of you doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know what he was telling to them? He's like, look, you're not going to win this fight doing it their way. They are too powerful. They are way too powerful. There is no way that you are going to convince people that you are innocent, that Christians didn't do what Nero says. They're way too powerful. You can't beat the media. You can't beat the government. You can't beat the emperor. He said, you know the only way we're going to win this battle? You know the only way we're going to prove people wrong? Is by living completely different than they say we live. They are calling us haters of the human race. They are calling us terrorists. Do you know the way that we change their mind? It ain't through legislation. It's not by changing the president or changing the emperor. It's not through more social media or a media battle or anything like that. Do you know why we do that? Is we live differently than they're saying we live. It's by doing good doing such good that people look at us and go these people can't be haters of the human race what in them is hateful they are merciful and they are loving and they are kind and they do not envy and they do not boast are you kidding me these these people aren't these people aren't terrorists these people aren't haters of the human race these are good people he says the only way you're going to be able to fight this is by being something Different by not playing into the role that they want you to play into. Another way to put it is this. To deny an unjustified accusation, they had to choose to love an unjustified person. He says this is the only way that we fight this unjustified accusation. Is by choosing to love an unjustified person. And then he sets them up for it. He sets them up for the thing that they did not want to hear. And if you were honest today, something you don't want to hear either. And so this is what he says to him next. He says, so submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Oh, shoot. Now, this sermon would have been way easier to preach like a year ago, right? Submit yourself. To every human authority. You know what that word means? It means obey. Obey. Every human authority. Now this was a big deal because remember this letter that Peter is writing, he's writing it to Jews and Gentiles. And remember, Gentile just means a non-Jew, right? Now this was a big deal because for the Jews, the Jews had a big problem with authority. Because the Jews only listened to other Jews. And so the Jews looked at Nero, who wasn't a Jew and they said, not my emperor. Mm Mm-mm. Not a Jew. I'm not listening to that guy. I don't have to listen to that guy. Not a Jew. Not my emperor. The Gentiles, they didn't have a problem that he wasn't a, a Jew or not, because or the, you know, they were Gentiles and he was a Gentile. Their biggest problem was his moral character. So they looked at everything that Nero was doing, his moral character, everything he was getting away with, and they go, not my emperor. I don't think so. And Peter, he goes, yes, it is. Like it or not, this is your emperor, and you know what I'm asking you to do? I want you to submit yourself, not only to him, but to every human authority. And then he goes on, and he says, submit yourself to every human authority, whether to the emperor, as the supreme authority, or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who who do right. He even mentions Nero by name. I mean, he could have done such a good political move there and just said, submit to all authorities. And people could have, like, translated it. There. Well, I don't think he means Nero because he's a bad guy. So he's, you know, everybody but the bad guys is what I think he means. He goes, no, 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 I want you to make sure you understand this. I want you to submit yourself to every authority. And then he says, the emperor, the supreme authority is what he calls him. Wait, wait a minute. The emperor? The Nero who is persecuting us, the emperor, the Nero who's trying to kill us, who's killed my family, who's killed my friends, who's hurt Christians, the reason that we're in hiding, the reason that we're suffering financially, the reason that we're in the economic times that we're in, you're talking about that guy? You're telling me I need to submit to him? And Peter says, yeah. And he says next, he says, for it is God's will, that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. He says, Here's why you need to do this. Because we're in a battle right now. And here's the thing: the only way we're gonna win is by being somebody different. Is not playing into the role that's being written for us by the media by not being who they want us to be or responding how they want us to respond, as much as they poke, as much as they pry, as much as they push. He says, we have to be different. Because it's God's will that by doing good, we should silence the ignorant. Silence the foolish talk. The only way we're ever going to prove to anybody that we're not haters of the human race is that we love in a supernatural way. That nobody else has ever seen. That nobody else could ever understand. And he knew exactly how they would respond. And it's exactly how you would respond today. But pastor, but Peter, our liberties and our freedoms are at stake here. And Peter would go, I understand that. But you know what? There's something at greater risk here. The thing that's at greater risk, that's even greater than our freedoms and our liberties... Is the legitimacy and genuineness of Christianity Because see you have to understand What hung in the balance at that point in time Not only were people's liberties and freedoms and safety at risk But the legitimacy and the genuineness of Christianity It was at risk The media and the powerful people Said that Christians were haters of the human race They were labeled as terrorists Who in the world would want to join that group? And at that point in time, if the Christians at that time had fallen into that trap and responded with hate and violence and rebellion, they would have played into the role that the powerful people would have wanted them to play into. And the legitimacy and the genuineness of Christianity would have been annihilated. And right there in that point in time, Christianity could have died. Christianity could have been wiped off the mat. You know what hung in the balance at that time? You and I hung in the balance of that time. Because if the Christians at that time had fallen into that trap and responded the way that Nero wanted them to respond, they would have said, see, I told you. They are haters of the human race. They are violent. They are terrorists. They are nothing like that Jesus that lived 30 years ago. And they need to be dealt with. And they would have been dealt with. And no one would have joined them. And you and I would have never heard of Christianity. And so Peter says, he says, look, so for the Lord's sake and for the sake of future generations, be different. Don't play into the role that's being written for you. Rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all slander of any kind because the only way to win this war is to love to be different than they say that you actually are. So then Peter says to them, instead, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Easy. I can do that, Peter. I love my church. Fear God. I'm working on that. And honor the emperor. What? Peter says, hey, there's big three big things I want you to do. I want you to love your church family. Yep, amen. I want you to fear God. I'm getting there, brother. Amen to that. And honor our emperor. What? Yep, honor the emperor. Love your God and love your family. How hard would that have been for you to do? It's hard for you right now to do, isn't it? He says, you live as free people. He says to them, look, there's not a verse in in, in the law that I can give you. There's not a command I can give you to tell you to do this. You're free people now. You're free people. You can do whatever you want. There's no laws to follow, there's not a list of rules, there's not a verse in the Bible that I can point to you that's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. You are free people, but I'm telling you, the thing that is in your best interest and the thing that would be best for the future generations of Christianity is that you use your freedom wisely, not to do whatever your sinful heart tells you to do, not what feels right, not even what your gut says you should do, but instead be God's slave by respecting everyone, fearing God, and yes, as hard as it may be to honor the emperor. And Do you know what they did? They did it. They did it. You know how long they had to do it? You think having a president for eight years is hard? <laughs> for 280 years they were persecuted. 280 years. Through four emperors, four generations of Christians were persecuted. Christianity was illegal. They were branded as terrorists. It wasn't until 312 AD where Constantine the Great came through and defeated the emperor and initiated the Edict of Milan that for the first time in over 300 years, Christianity was made legal. And it was okay. Okay. And you know what's crazy? Most of you would look at that if I told you that, hey guys, for the next 280 years, persecution's gonna break out in our country. And Christianity is going to be illegal. It's going to be illegal to meet as a church. It's going to be illegal to worship. It's going to be illegal to be a pastor. It's going to be illegal to own a Bible. You know what most of you would say? Oh, things are going to get so bad. This is going to be terrible. I don't know if we're going to survive this. But did you know that in those 280 years of persecution, when persecution was set its highest, that the church didn't stop growing That actually it grew quicker and it grew more and more people joined the church and more people became Christian. How in the world does that work? How in the world does that make sense? You know why? Because they lived so differently that it became attractive. They lived so differently that people looked at the way they lived and they said, not only is the media and Nero and the other emperors wrong about who Christians are, but my goodness, if you could go through this much persecution and still have faith, then there is something to this. And Christianity took off. To the point where many people believe that Constantine didn't make Christianity legal because he was a Christian But because it was in his political favor Because the Christians were outnumbering everyone So, here's my question to you What does what Peter had to say then mean for where we are today? Because like I said For some of you, this sermon would be a lot easier to preach a year ago. I mean, I've heard a lot of pastors use this scripture verse to their advantage during the Trump years. But now as we're in the Biden years for four to eight years, right? Oh, things are a little different. You're probably not going to hear anybody preach on this verse for a while, right? Because it's not what we want to hear. It's not what you want to hear. So what in the world do we do with this? What does what Peter had to say then mean for where we are today? Well, I think Peter, if he were standing up here in my shoes, what he would say to you is rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Let me ask you something. Do you have any malice in your heart for our government? Do you have any malice in your heart for our police officers? Do you have any malice in your heart for anyone in our community? Is there any deceit in your heart? Like when somebody gets caught up in a scandal, do you kind of grin inside a little bit? you kind of happy about it? Let me ask you is there any hypocrisy in your life? Are you playing into the role that's being written for you right now? Are you just playing right into it? Like you know they're pu- using you as a puppet, but you don't care. You're playing right into it. Are you jealous? I mean, for many conservatives, your, your side is not winning right now, right? That's how the game goes, right? You're, you're a little jealous about that? Let me ask you, is there any slander of any kind in your heart? you bad-mouthing anybody by chance? And I get it. I know. I know what you would say. You would say this. You would say, but, Pastor, but our freedoms and our liberty are at stake. And do you know what Peter would say to you today? Do you know what the only difference is between then and now? And there is a huge difference is Peter would tell you, then exercise your rights. You have to understand, at that point in time in Rome, in 64 AD, they were under, for those many hundreds of years, an authoritative government. authoritative government means you have no rights, you have no freedoms, you have no liberties. They are in authority. And so back then, they were really stuck, because Peter says... You need to listen to him. You, there is nothing you can do because this is an authoritative government. But today we live in a democracy and it's different. And you have freedoms and you have liberties. And I'm not going to be stupid. If Peter were standing in front of you today, you would say, but our freedoms and our liberties are at stake. And Peter would look at you and go, then exercise your rights. Petition, vote, run for office. March, do all of those things that are in your rights, that those freedoms that have been given to you as an American citizen, please do so. Don't just get run over. Exercise your rights that they've given you. But remember, there is something at greater risk, the legitimacy and genuineness of Christianity. Because even still today, this is still at risk. Because even still today, people look at Christians, especially after the last four years that we've had. People look at Christians, and do you know what they say about Christians? They say, you know what? There is nothing different about Christianity. They're just fearful people. They're just upset people. They just want things in their favor. They're like every other religion. They just want to be in control. They just want to legislate. They just want to change things. And you know what? The only way that we can change people's minds about Christianity is by not playing into the role that's being written for us, is choosing to be different. And the problem that we have today. Is that we as legitimate Christians have to choose to be different than other Christians? This is the battle our church fights on a constant basis. Well, what's anchored hope like? And we go, well, our, our vision statement is to be a church for people who don't like church because it's very clear in people's minds and hearts what church is. And we're trying to be different from that. It's the only way that we will ever keep intact the legitimacy and genuineness of Christianity. And in the same way, all those thousands of years ago, when future generations were at risk, today still, the future generations of our children and our families, their faith stories are at risk today. And if today, we'd play the narrative and the role that they want us to play, then the future generations and our children's faith is at risk. Because don't be fooled. At any point in time, Christianity could still be wiped off the map. So, what do we do? I love Peter's approach, and this is the approach I'm going to take, because I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I love Peter's approach. He says, you know what, there's not like a verse or like a law I could give you or a command or anything like that. But If I had to put myself in your shoes, which he wasn't his shoes, if I had to put myself in your shoes and I had to choose what to do in this situation, I don't know what I'd do. But, you know, there was this guy I walked with like 30 years ago. His name was Jesus. Pretty cool guy. Died for your sins. If I recall back to what he went through, he went through something interesting as well. And this is what Peter says he says, slaves and reverent fear of god submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate but also to those who are harsh for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of god but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then he talks about Jesus. He says he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter's a wise man. He says, you know, I'm not going to tell you guys exactly what you should do. But, as a Christian, which means trying to be like Christ... I remember when Christ was taken, and it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right, and it was unjust, and he suffered through something that he shouldn't have suffered through, and I remembered him taking it like a champ. Because his faith wasn't in what happened in this life. It was what happened in the afterlife. And he entrusted himself to the one that judges justly. He didn't need to get the last word because he remembered that God was already going to have the last word. And he knew what was at risk, and so he gave it to God, and he took what he needed to take. L- let me ask you the hardest question you, you, will, you will ever, ever see in your life. This is the hardest question, and you, I, you are going to, I want you to sit on this question for so long, man. And if you're in small groups, this question's going to be there, and you ain't even going to have an answer. It's going to be about six minutes of silence in your small groups. Because this, this is the hardest question you will ever be asked. And I want you to take this and I want you to put it on a post-it note. I want you to put it, take a picture of it. Put it on a screensaver on your phone. I want you to write it on Facebook. And I want you to tag it at the top. I, don't, I want you to wrestle with this question for as long as you possibly can. You ready for it? This is the question. What are you willing to give up to be more like Jesus? What are you willing to give up? To be more like Jesus. What are you willing to stop doing? What are you willing to start doing to be more like Jesus? You have emotions and desires and things that you want in your heart. You have feelings and all those things, and all of those are there for a reason, and they're human and they're normal, and it's okay for them to be there. But which ones are you willing to deny? To be more like Jesus. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to deny yourself of? If the end result means that you look more like Jesus. That is a hard question, isn't it? That is a tough question. This is the road that everybody gets to in their faith journey. And it never stops because you get a little bit further in that faith journey and you come at an impasse where there's something that you know Jesus wouldn't do, something that Jesus wouldn't say, something that Jesus wouldn't be a part of, something that Jesus would give up, something that Jesus would let happen. And you come at that impasse and you have to decide, am I going to do what I want to do or am I going to do what Jesus would do? And then you move a little bit down the road, and it happens again, and you move a little bit down the road, and it happens again, and it happens again, and this is life, right? You know, when I was a kid growing up, Christian bookstores were still a thing. They all went out of business now. They're way too expensive. We have Amazon now. We don't need that nonsense. And it it was really cool. They had these uh, bracelets, Uh, They were WWJD bracelets, right? You remember these, right? Anybody remember what this stands for? Well, uh, what would Jesus do? Yeah, y'all are really proud. (laughs) Look at y'all. Y'all been silent the whole message, and then I'm like, remember WWJD bracelets? Oh, yeah, Pastor, yeah. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Uh, Rhonda's got that tattooed on her back. You can ask to see it after church. Anyway, uh... You know, it had all these colors, you know, it had all these colors, black and red, and it was real cool, you know. I remember this as, like, a kid in fifth grade, you know, I had all these, I had a WWJD bracelet to go, like, with every pair of basketball shorts I had, you know. And uh, then, you know, the, the trend the trend left, and it was gone, and Christian bookstores, you know, became not cool, and so it all went away. Well, they've made a resurgence. It's been about 20 years, and they've, they've made a resurgence, and they're back. WWJD bracelets are back. You can get them. But the, ki- the guy who brought him back, he's a young guy, he, he brought him back, and it's really interesting. Because, you know, th- th- it was just all we had was the question, right? What would Jesus do? And it was something to encourage you. Like, hey, in this situation, as you come into it, what would Jesus do? And this guy who brought it back, he came out with a second bracelet. And the second bracelet is this. There's WWJD and there's HWLF. And the guy answered the question. He said, I know exactly what Jesus would do. You know what WHLF stands for? He would love first. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in the political climate that we're in? What would Jesus do if I was a black man? What would Jesus do if I was a white man? What would Jesus do if I was a conservative? What would Jesus do if I was a liberal? What would Jesus do in this situation? Well, Peter answers it really, really clearly. I could tell you what Jesus would do. He would love first. How much are you willing to give up to be more like Jesus? What is it you're willing to sacrifice? Are you willing in every situation that you come into to choose to love first? There's no law, there's no command. I don't know what the guidelines are going to be when you get to heaven. I don't know how big a deal it's going to be. I don't know if God's going to go through your Facebook or your social media or see what you said when what guy was president. I don't know anything about that. I'm just a pastor. And I wish I was more of an influencer. I wish I could tell you something more practical could, could do. But I kind of like Peter's approach. I can't really tell you what to do. There's a lot of stuff to be scared about. There's a lot of fears. There's a lot of things that could change in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20, 50 years. We don't know. Could be harder could get harder to be a Christian. Could get easier. Nobody really knows. All I can tell you is is that I know what my Jesus would do. He would love first. So how much are you willing to give up to be more like Jesus? I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to sing the last song. And it's kind of cliche. You know, CJ always texts me, and we talk after I start writing my sermon on Monday. Hey, how do you want to end service, and what do you want to do? And we pick this song that you've heard before. It's called I Surrender. And to be honest with you, it'd be really easy for you to just sit through this. You may have already shut me out as soon as I got a little political. And... You know, you could just sit here and just sing the song as normal, go through the words, you know, stand here for another four minutes and service will be over. But, you know, it's cliche, but it's what we really need to do. We need to surrender. We need to surrender our desires and our emotions and our needs and what we want and put it in God's hands and show how genuine and legitimate our faith really is. And to understand that with everything that's at risk in this life, with everything that's at risk in this country and in this world, which is completely legitimate, there is something at greater risk future generations of the Christian faith. And if we're not careful, We can make Christianity look so ugly and so hateful and so much like everything else that people see in this world that it could end. So as you go, as we sing this song and as we close in worship and stuff, you could just sit there and you could listen and it could be like just, you know, a song. And it'll be over in four minutes. And you can leave and you could... Write me your emails or tell me good sermon, whichever you choose. And then go on your day and we'll be back here next week. Or you could take this moment and seriously wrestle with that question. What are you willing to give up to be more like Jesus? What are you willing to surrender? What are you willing to lay down? I know you've got thoughts and feelings and emotions in your heart right now. I know you do you willing to lay those down right now? Seriously? Are you willing to surrender that right now? Are you willing to wrestle with that and deal with that right now and make a change, make a commitment in your life to look God in the face and go, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm really struggling right now. I'm fearful. I'm mad. I'm upset. I'm envious. I'm jealous. I've got malice in my heart. And I want to deal with that right now. I don't want that to be there anymore. You can surrender that right now to God. So you have to choose what you're going to do. It's going to be just another service, just another song. You can go on your way. You can live your life. You can go do whatever you want. That's your decision. Or you can make a change, a change that could possibly impact future generations of the Christian faith. If you'd like to support Anchored Hope, you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to connect with someone from Anchored Hope, go to anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening and God bless.